I said it before and I'll say it again. We, regardless of being close to the end times, still probably live in a way better time than the first century uh, for a multitude of reasons. But the biggest reason this morning that I want to bring up again is that we still have the full canon of Scripture. We have the New Testament formed as the New Testament by the the apostles or the apostolic authors of the time. And because we have that, we have uh, an example that's set before us. We have the Gospels, of course, showing the Lord Jesus and the example that he set. And then we have the early history of the church in, in word form so that we can see and understand just what the early church was going through, how they were there to worship, how they were there for discipleship, how they were there for fellowship, and how they were there to be on mission together. And so until that time, all that they had were examples of people, like they may or may not have been close to an apostle. And so I told you a little bit that this this week's been kind of hard, and I actually haven't been in the pulpit itself since March 21st. I tried on the 28th, and I just couldn't do it because of what was going on. March 25th was a very big day, and a lot of changes uh, happened, and then just the, the cataclysmic things. And then even this week, uh, I was a little leery because, of, again, being hospitalized for a couple of days, it's just kind of a be still, know that I am God. Take a seat, Eric. And I did. <laughs> I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> and, and so just, just based on that, but I'm really glad to be back. And, and as a pastor, I want you to know that I don't take this lightly. And I'm really grateful and glad that there were other uh, men willing to take a stand and to, 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 to stand in the pulpit, to, to speak honestly and truthfully to the best of their God-given ability to speak about God. Because no one really is qualified to speak fully of God in the spiritual ways because we're all sinners and we're all saved by grace. But we're, we're also called to be an example and to be a leader and to shepherd the flock and to love. And there's so much more that goes into that. But the reason I bring all this up is that to ease back into this in a sense and to, to right the ship, if you will, because I feel like everything's been like here, there, and everywhere. And it has. <laughs> so I'm right to feel that way. But to bring it back together, because we were in First John, and then we're just all over the place. And I was all over the place. I was in you know, multiple states, countries even, doing things. But I'm glad to be back, and I want to settle down. And so we're just going over a little bit of a review today. And so part of that is that you know, in this letter of First John, it's, you know, he doesn't start off with a greeting or niceties or pleasantries. He just goes right into it. <laughs> and because he just goes right into it, um, it, it leaves us with a little bit of, okay, what's, what's the example? What are we doing this for? But we're going to see that here again as we go over all this. So happy Mother's Day. You're getting five sermons in one. <laughs> all right, you're really not getting all five sermons. But just, just to go over this briefly again. Yeah, get us all on the same page. And again, it's mostly for me too, because I'm I've been everywhere, so I gotta like kind of calm down and be like, okay, what are we doing? Why why are we doing this? And, and it is, and it's all about our walks and the examples and the example that you know Jesus gave us, the example that John gave us, and then of course the examples that we still have in today's world and society of what right living in light of walking with the God of of light of truth, and of love. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just your, your work in our lives and calling us to be a part of your kingdom and a part of your glory. So, Lord, just very simply as we approach your word today, just, just fill us with the Spirit. Allow us to see you. Allow us to worship you and allow us to be grateful for the things that you have blessed us with rather than the wanton of the world and the things that we may feel that we're missing, but we're really not missing because, Lord, you fill that gap in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, and, and you are the reason for life. So show us all these reasons and the truth. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I'm not going to dilly-dally. we got a lot, lot to cover <laughs> in a sense, but 
I, I don't really have notes, and, and I'm not going to go to other chapters. I just wanted to, to briefly go over all of this again to, to again, right the ship, to be a part, to be unified in, you know, the, the word of what God is telling us in First John, what it looks like to walk, what it looks like to be that example, and just to see, you know, how God works throughout all of our lives, similarly, yet differently at the same time. And so, First John... Chapter 1, and then if you look on the back of your bulletin, each one of these marks, that was a sermon that we had done in the past. And I just did the titles, and I just want to, again, briefly cover it all. Not go super deep, but just get it in there, if you will. So, the Word became flesh. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and... Oops, I'm in the Gospel of John. <laughs> I'm a silly guy. Forgive me. See, it's been a while. I'm a little rusty. Oh, man. Hebrews, Hebrews, 1 John. There we go. All right, try this again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, and we proclaim to, also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. Amen. The first part. Most important thing to grasp out of this first section, and we talked a lot about the history, we talked a lot about the backgrounds, and I do find it to be important that you know that First John, as well as the Gospel, the Gospel of John that I started with, <laughs> that, that sounds very similarly to First John, was written somewhere about 80, 85 A.D., um, the, the first gospel, which was Mark, was written about 70. So in between that time, this gospel of John was the last one. But this letter to John, this was written in the early 90s AD. And then to put it in perspective, considering how most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul died somewhere between 64 and 67 AD. So this is like another 30 years after all of Paul's apostolic teaching and what was going on in the church and the setting and the planting and everything else that was going on. But he just breaks right into this. There's no formal, hi, how are you, grace to you, peace and mercy from God the Father, anything like that. He's just like, Here's my authority. And it's not based on knowledge. It's not based on anything. It's based on an experience. It's the experience that we've had with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us have had an experience with the Lord Jesus, or most likely than that, we would not be here within the church. Um, and so John, in what he's doing here, that from the beginning, which we've heard, what we've seen, certainly John wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote this letter, most definitely, but it's just the straight to the point of the authority and, and to why he's writing this letter based on experience. And, and it's not, again, trying to reason with these people, and it's not trying to convert. Like with, with a lot of Paul's teaching, and especially Romans, you know, he's going through the gospel in detail. He's trying to convert unbelievers in a sense. But John's not trying to convert unbelievers. John's trying to strengthen those who are already believers, like us, to be encouraged to walk that walk. And what does that walk look like in a sense? And he goes into a lot, you know, over the course of these five chapters, uh, a lot of what God is and then how we respond because of what God has done and who God is in our lives. And that's the same today. That, that it's a response of, of us being a part of the church is a response to the love that God has shown us, that we were adopted as sons and daughters to be a part of his kingdom, to be something greater than ourselves, to be a unified front together, to be a family together, because we will be eternally with him someday. And so the eternal truth became human. And it's because 
to reconcile our eternal relationship with our Creator. Every human being on this planet does have an eternal destiny and, and a plan, whether it be to go to heaven or to go to hell. But regardless, every human being is eternal in some sense. We are only temporarily here for a short period of time. You know, and, and even as I brought up the be still moment, life still goes on with or without me. You know, people still have things. There's still, you know, life that goes on. There's, there's still, you know, things to do, if you will, life to lead. But what does that life necessarily look like? We have a tendency to fill it up with so many different things. But all in all, it's about the love. And it's about the love of God and loving one another as human beings. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole meaning of life. That's really the whole point of the world because I don't believe that the world exists for any other reason other than God's great love and an opportunity for him to shower people with love and to show his grace, to show his mercy, to show the nature of his character and who he is. And so John begins this saying that, like, Hey, I've been there. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've been a part of it. So we see that in first sentence, what we've heard, what we've seen with our own eyes, what we've looked upon, what we've touched with our hands. You know, the only things that are missing in this from what he said is there's, there's no sense of taste, you know, but I would say that John's probably also tasted considering when you, you know, the miracles of feeding the 5,000, he's tasted miracle fish. <laughs> if you will, <laughs> however that may or may not, you know, pan out or land, but at, at the same time, and then uh, smell, and I'm sure, you know, growing up in the first century and so on and so forth, that certainly there were smells there too, but that's the five senses of what it is to be a human being, and he was there, and he was part of that, and the incarnation is certainly in view in this, and a very important thing, because our God came down to earth. Most gods that you read about sit way high in heaven. They're very judgmental. They're very angry. They very much want you to do things, and they very much want to condemn you. That's not our God. <laughs> our God is so much better than that because our God actually came down the mountain to be with us, to suffer as we did, yet without sin, to live that perfect life that we were originally made to live, but just perfectly on our behalf. Because unfortunately, as we know, and as this letter is going to go on a little bit more, um, we have a problem. We have a huge problem, and it's called sin, and it resides within each and every one of us. But praise be to God that he is holy and righteous and good, and that he has come and done the things that we haven't. And so really, ultimately, this whole first section and, and the eternal truth becoming human to reconcile our eternal relationship is that the objective John had in mind was that, that you as the readers and them as the church have fellowship with the apostles and have fellowship with, with God the Father, the creating of the, the church. He was not trying to convert them again uh, with reason. He was just edifying them in their relationship with the Father based on the witness and testimony that John had had, what he'd seen, what he'd heard, what he'd touched regarding the word of life. And of course, we know that that word of life is in fact our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's so many references biblically, and especially as we go into that next section where God is light and in him is no darkness at all. How the entire Bible you know, speaks of this, that God being light, and how that you know, light is life, if you will, in that sense. And so here it is. He just lays it all out there. He's like, I'm telling you this because I've witnessed it. I've been a part of it. It's been a reality. And, and I hope that we as believers have that same kind of mentality and philosophy because um, in this next section that ties into that because what we think about God affects our walks with him. And if we think about God, if we think about Jesus as just some ideology or just some way of living or you know anything other than the person that he is as, as being just some, some high, untouchable, un, unyielding force in, in the heavens that no one can really understand or, you know, have that relationship with, it, it certainly affects our walk with him. 
because we don't think is attainable. We think it might be, you know, a, a joke or, uh, again, the ideology that this is the way that, you know, we're supposed to live and design. But here's the thing. The whole purpose and, and the whole circumference of the Christian life is very simply a life lived in the light of God. And when I say in the light of God, in the knowledge of God, and in the relationship with God, your creator, we all, like I said earlier, have holes in our hearts and in our beings that can only be filled with God. But because of sin and because of our own egocentric natures, we try to fill that hole in our lives with so many different things. You can, you can kind of pick your poison, if you will, in this world. You can fill it with you know, materialism or you know, different ideologies or trying to attain power or relationships or money or like the list goes on and on and on of things that we do to try to make our, our worth and our value and our being something greater than what God has already said it is, which you can't really make anything greater than a human being created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect, very simply because they are created that way. So, verse 5 through 7 here, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Very, very simply, we spent a lot of time on that and that you know, going throughout all of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. I mean, you think about the beginning of the Bible starts with light. The earth was dark and without void, or was dark and without form and was void, and then God shone light on it. And just the same in Revelation, when we get to that holy city, uh, it says that the glory of God shines brightly. There's no sun, there's no moon. There's no stars. There's God and his light. And the lamb is that lamp. And that's Revelation 21, verse 23, I believe. Um, but either way, it, it, it's beautiful how that symmetry begins and ends the Bible in the form of light. And, and light is the antidote to darkness, if you will. Because there can't be darkness when there's light. That light permeates everything. Light gives order to creation. Light makes life possible. The light is everywhere. And light is referenced throughout all the scriptures. We even talked about shiny face Moses uh, during this time. Because when Moses had his experience with God in writing the Ten Commandments, he came down and his face was shining and the people were scared. And, and it makes sense because we're not used to that. We're not used to something so amazing. And so Jesus changes lives. That's kind of the, the overarching point of this, this second one. And what we think about God certainly affects our walk with him. And that a God of light certainly expects that light to permeate every aspect of who we are and every being. And again, it fills up. It reveals things for what they really are in this world as well. And so God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And what, again, what we think about God and the holiness and the reverence of what we give to God, because unfortunately, you know, it's, it's very easy, especially considering all that's happened since the last time I've, I've been in a pulpit, to be uh, mad at God and to blame God for so many things that have happened. Like, why didn't you intervene? Why would you allow this to happen? Why, 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 why? And in the end, the, the, the real issue is, is that God has called me to salvation. I know this. I know this for a fact. God also did not promise me sunshine and rainbows all the time. In fact, in the Gospel of John, he says, in this world you will face tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so my hope my strength all comes from the Lord, very, very simply to endure and to get through this. Uh, if I was to simplify Christianity to people in some, some degrees, it gives me hope for a better way for the future, but it also gives me the strength, the endurance, the perseverance to get through this life, 
knowing the truth because the light has permeated the darkness and it has revealed to me exactly what everything in this world really is and what it stands for. And I can see the sin in human beings. I can see the sin and destruction in all the different ideologies and the systems and the governments and everything else. Like, it is a mess. But I can also see the good in it, too, because the light has shown me what it was originally designed and created to be. So it gives me that hope for a better way for the future and for right living. And it's given me hope in a people that God has created a people for his own possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that I get to be a part of that and I get to witness and see other people's lives and to share in those lives. And that I can rejoice with those who rejoice, but I can also weep with those who weep at the very same time. And, and it's part of the whole human experience and part of the whole human gambit. And so we see it in that first part. And, and of course, what we think about God is very important. But verse 6 and 7, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Just to see those two uh, verses together, uh, certainly they're antithesis of one another. They're very different. They're very polarizing. It is impossible to say that you walk in the light while you're, you know, you're, you're living in adultery. You're, you're getting wasted every night. You know, there's, there's certain things that God's going to change most definitely within your life. But it takes time. And also, to, to walk in the light is very different than the walk according to. I, I always want to be clear with this, that we all need grace and we all need mercy, every single one of us. And it's not just a one-time thing, okay? It's, it's a lot of time thing because I don't know everything that everyone is going through. A lot of the scars that people have are not physical. They are emotional or they are spiritual scars. And I don't see them. And no one can see them, but God sees them because he's the only one that can read hearts and minds and can be tuned in to understanding everything that a human being has gone through. And we do have that great high priest who has gone through all of these things on our behalf and has been tempted as we are yet without sin and who can make that you know, atoning sacrificial offering for us on our behalf. And, and this all happens through that, that blood of Christ and the atonement and the gospel. And so we've got these two different ways to walk. And, and, and obviously John is fighting against some force of heresy coming into the church. And again, he wants to encourage them in their walks at this present moment in time. That like, look, what they're telling you is very different than what the reality is of what life would be like. So it's not walking according to the light, it's walking in the light, which shows that there's a willingness and, and a, a respect and a reverence for God. Because if we say we're walking according to the light, that means we need to follow the law to the T. And while that's impossible for human beings, that's why we need grace. Because it is impossible for us. Because we are all just ultimately... To, to the best of my belief and knowledge, just trying to do the best we can with what we've been given. Like, I don't think a lot of, uh, anyone in here, okay, <laughs> outside in the world, this might be a different story, but anyone in here, certainly, no one wants to hurt anybody. No one wants to tear anybody down. We all want to lift each other up. You know, that's, that's the point of this. I think we've all seen the world tear itself apart and tear each other down. Like, that's not right, and we know it's not right, and that's not the way we want it. And so what's our hope? What's, what, it, it's, it's really what we think about God and, and, how, and how that affects our walks and how what thinking about God and then knowing what Jesus has done on our behalf changes lives. And so two things happen in this uh, when you see that you practice the truth and we walk in the light as he's in the light. We have 
fellowship with one another, fellowship with our God, our Creator, fellowship with human beings, and then also um, the sins are forgiven. Our sins can be forgiven. We can repent and believe. In fact, God calls everyone everywhere to repent. That's the whole point of this. Um, you know, and so far as it depends on us, as, as far as the gospel, that's what God desires. And repentance is threefold. Uh, in its simplest form, it means to turn. It means to change. And God helps us with the Holy Spirit as well uh, in this. It's the reconciliation of the fellowship, if you will, by the blessing of the Holy Spirit to know God's ways, if you will. But repentance first is to turn from our ways and to begin to look and hopefully follow God's ways. It's not easy, but, you know, it, it is the right way of living, if you will. It also involves what we're going to talk about in a minute, which is confession, which is agreeing with God. Homologia, same talk. We agree with God that, that he is good and that sin is bad, you know, or that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we see that as well in the confession and then, of course, the sorrowful nature. Uh, one thing that I would say has grown within me and as part of change is that, like, I'm so sad for so many people these days. Like, just because of all the stuff that, that people have to go through on a daily basis, an hourly basis, a weekly basis, whatever it may be. But, man, there's just... Uh, a mess out there and I'm so sad for so many different people um, it just kind of blows my mind but I know our God is good and again he gives me the strength to endure and the persistence and, and the ability to move forward in my life and he's given me a great 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 hope as well so five through seven while we think about God but here's the thing and here's the, the heart of the gospel of what he goes into next, which is 1.8 to 2.2. 2. The only possible cure for sin is Jesus. And so he goes on to say, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, this is I remember talking about this pastor who, who said to his congregation, I haven't sinned in 17 years. And we know he's a liar. <laughs> and I would encourage everyone like that, would ever know him to be like, dude, you're lying. <laughs> you can't, you can't say that because even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is, if you think impure thoughts, if you think hate, you're murdering someone. If you if you think of a woman improperly, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Like there's so much that goes in to say it's so much deeper. But apparently, these naysayers of the time were like, oh, you know, let's separate the spiritual life from the earthly life. And so if my spiritual life is good because I do all these works and, you know, I say my Hail Marys and my, my, my Our Fathers and if I do all of these things, then my spiritual life is good. So whatever I do in my earthly life is just whatever I do in my earthly life. It has no impact or effect on my spiritual life. But John's very much saying that that's not a possibility. You cannot separate what's going on in your earthly life from your spiritual life. And in fact, your spiritual life, you know, like encompasses and covers everything that happens in your earthly life because the earthly part of what we're doing is only temporary, whereas the spiritual aspect of us is eternal. And there's no separating the two because when one comes to an end, you know, the, the other continues on, if you will. And so... We do deceive ourselves. We say our sin's not that big a deal. In fact, sin is kind of like a curse word these days. It's a taboo word. Like, you can't say it. It's archaic to say that word because it implies a negative connotation. And, and it does. And we cannot just skirt away from it or, or cancel culture it because it's a big part of life. Like, I don't want to give it any type of glory. Don't get me wrong. But, man... Like, it's, it's everywhere and in everything. And you just cannot, uh, like, 
ignore it in, in that capacity. Because what, what has happened to us as human beings is we've become desensitized to it in its entirety. We've become desensitized to murder because we live near Chicago and we're like, ah, only eight people died this weekend. There should have been no people dying this weekend. Like, it's a problem, you know? And that's just one small avenue of sin, right? Like, there's lists and miles of different ways that we can sin, atrocities that are caused, you know, infractions of... Of, of violence, if you will, human being against human being, and all these different things. And, and so it is a, a problem, and it's not that we need to deceive ourselves. It's not that we need to embrace it either, but you cannot ignore it, and you cannot continue to be desensitized to it in that sense. But it doesn't change the fact that we still have to love Jesus and love people regardless of, of whatever sins may happen. We don't need to willingly be abused, but we certainly don't need to you know, go on a rampage like maybe Westboro Baptist Church does is, and, and spread hate because of sin, just the same. Like it was such a double-edged sword and such a fine line of how we deal with our issues as a society and as a whole. But man, if, if everyone could see the way that God sees, that hopefully we as his children are beginning to see the world and everything in it as God sees it, how that changes our lives and, and the lives of those around us, if you will. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's absolute truth. God talks about sin a lot within the Bible. You know, and, and if we say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar. I mean, what's the whole point of Jesus coming to condemn sin in the flesh if we don't have sin? Like, there's, you know, one plus one doesn't equal four. And so it's very important that we, we understand the, the reason we need a Savior, the reason that we need Jesus. And so this whole confession thing, um, that he is indeed faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like there have been so many sins, you know, I'm not just talking thoughts, I'm talking about, you know, just uh, verbiage or, you know, actions or thoughts or philosophies that have changed. Like, we could spend a lot of time on that. I'm sure each of us could tell one thing at least of how Jesus has changed us from sin and how it has been forgiven and it has been cleansed from us and that we don't blaspheme the same we do. We don't think the same way we do. We don't hate the same way we do. You know, there's, there's so much that goes on with that. But again, this confession literally means to say the same thing. Homologia, same speak, if you will. And to agree or acknowledge fully. And when we confess, we feel and say the same thing that God does about it. And so the more that we do confess and agree with God, the better off I believe that we can walk this life together, if you will. When we have God's viewpoint on the matter, we see it as he does. And how do we get God's viewpoint? It all comes through his word. And then the interpretation comes from the Holy Spirit as application, because minute by minute we're going to need help. You know, the things that happen in the, at the store on a daily basis when something pops up, like how do you respond to that? what has Jesus said and done and how does the Holy Spirit help influence that? You know, and, and it's with each of us. When things happen in the classroom, someone gets crazy and really out of control, how do we handle that situation? How do we address it? And that all, again, comes from the Word of God by the blessing of the Holy Spirit interpreted through us to respond because it all seems to be about responses in that sense. But he does certainly forgive us, and he does certainly, you know, change lives. I will always go down saying Jesus changes lives. I am testimony to that truth as a human being. 
And so many of my brothers and sisters, of course, naturally are as well. I'm just seeing a little more than some of the other people because I stand here speaking the things of God that 10 years ago I never knew, let alone if you told me I would be doing this, I just would have laughed at you. <laughs> because this is crazy, right? This is just nuts. How, but Jesus absolutely changes lives. Make no mistake about that. And so, my little children, starting in chapter 2, this is John, this is John's love for the church, this little children, that's kind of what we all are, we are God's little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm going to stop with that one, even though it goes on in the next verse. But so much is in that, that we have this advocate, this parakletos, meaning one who is called to someone's aid or one who advocates for one another. We have a mediator in Christ. And so technically used, it could be a term for a lawyer, in a sense, that Jesus is so much more. We've seen that certainly he's come in the flesh, he's lived this life, and he's cleansed us from our sins. He's substitutionarily atoned for us in that sense. But he's continually acting on our behalf as a mediator, an intercessor, as a, and a comforter in our lives. And man, if he was not those things, I don't know where I would be in this moment in time. Um, certainly I wouldn't be up here, but based on some of the things that have you know, recently happened as well as happened in the past, I could very well be in jail or someplace else right now. Uh, just because Jesus, if he wasn't comforting and if he didn't give hope and he didn't give assurance, like who knows what kind of you know, justice or sense of justice I personally might have needed, you know, against some of the atrocities that other people have done, you know, in lives. And so Jesus represents people to God the Father. So God is representing us to God, if you will, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so certainly something to wrap our heads around, but something amazing nonetheless, because I don't know how it gets any better than that. <laughs> when you have God representing you to God himself, like how can that go wrong? <laughs> that can't go wrong. And in fact, that is a gigantic blessing of the gospel. Not just in the reconciliation, but in the advocacy, the mediation that, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because now you should know, and if you don't, then you certainly need to know, your salvation is entirely secure based on what Jesus has done, not what you may or may not do in the past, present, or future. So once you are saved, you are always saved. We might rebel because, oh my goodness, I've, I've rebelled plenty. Even, even just recently, I've, I've rebelled plenty. I've had some choice words for our Lord. Uh, but he was, be still, know that I am God. And, and, and I have, and I didn't have a lot of choice in that. But whatever it is, I can rise and stand up to that challenge, knowing that I certainly am loved, I am cared for, and that you know my emotions and feelings are certainly valid and are a part of the human experience. This is a part of life, part of living life. And so... Jesus being that advocate, that paraclete for us, um, just representing that. It, it shows his high priesthood too. And we talked a little bit about that, and, and Hebrews is really good as a book of the Bible that speaks about that. But Jesus being eternal, because he is eternal, he is that final high priest, and he can make those perfect sinless offerings that no other human can. Because as a human being, and when you go back and you think about the Levitical times and the priesthood, those priests first had to atone for their own sins, make themselves clean, hopefully not sinning and thinking in the meantime, and then make atonement for your sins on top of that. 
And so this whole paying the price for sins, because certainly there is a punishment for sin. Like, it's wrong. Make no mistake about it. This is what we confess. We agree with God. We agree that sin is wrong. And, and without Jesus, there's no cure for that sin because there's no perfect form to restore our relationship you know, to the heavenly Father of light, let alone you know, because he's that heavenly Father of light and in him is no darkness, sin can't be anywhere near him. So it had to be paid, it had to be taken care of in some way or another. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. And you go into the second verse of that, uh, not only do we have an advocate, but he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world. The blood of Jesus is so powerful, it can cover salvation for any and every human being on this planet. The problem is, is that most people like the darkness more than the light because our works are typically evil because we're self-serving, self-gratifying human beings who have God complexes. It's big me, little God. It's big me, little you. Don't get in my way. It's about me. And that's the problem with sin. It's our egocentric nature. You can call that the pride of life, if you will, because we make it all about us. And, and just like little children that scream and throw tantrums when they don't get their own way, I see adults do this all the time, too. <laughs> they might not do it in such dramatic fashion as a little child, but they will do it in a more violent and ugly fashion than a little child. They might not necessarily kick and scream on the floor. They might spread hate and lies and rumors and you know so many other different things that just make it ugly. But again, without Jesus, there's no cure for this. And this propitiation, this sacrifice given to placate someone who is angry. One thing that I've certainly learned about all or like recently, and I, I can even feel it within my bones and my spirit, is how much God hates sin. <laughs> like, wow. It's, it's, it's a little, like, scary, electrifying, like, he hates it. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but man, like, I have been filled with so much wrath and anger and fury and rage and, like, there's, there's a punishment coming. And even the destruction of this world, as the Bible talks about, pales in comparison to the wrath of what is prepared for those vessels of destruction that spew only sin in hell. Man, it, it is just absolutely nuts how much God hates sin. And so he gave us all a chance. But the people like their sin. They like themselves. They like their own destruction. And here's the thing. Like, I know people don't, but they do. <laughs> like, if you've ever been so sure about something, like, I, I, I know you don't want to be doing this. You just don't know any better. You just don't know a better way. You just don't know a better truth. And so you're caught in this, like, cycle of sin the cycle of atrocities where one person has done something to you and then it becomes normal and then someone else and then you do it to someone else and then that other person does it to someone and then it just keeps going and going and going and they just don't know and don't understand. And so very, very, very tough stuff. But because of that propitiation, because of that, the wrath of God is curbed from us, if you will. Like, even the things that have gone on, even me being hospitalized and me being angry and things like that, like, it could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse. In fact, it, you know, in, in the rule of, of inches, it's millimeters apart from being something way worse and being septic and just, you know, being miserable and, and maybe even dying, you know, but... I'm not worried about dying because I'm going to be with Jesus. It's the great hope that we all have. It's, you know, strength to endure now, great hope for the future, if you will. And then we went in to uh, chapter 2, verse 3 to 11, and certainly to know God is to expect and embrace changes and ultimately love Jesus, love people. 
That's, that's the biggest changes in our lives. And so we see that Jesus is both that parakletos and the propitiation on our behalf. He supplies what's needed for our pardon. And so what does that look like? Now we've received this pardon. Like what is, what is a response for us? And that's exactly what happened in these next verses. And so it says, By this we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So sounds a little bit like legalism when, when we first read it or whatnot. But I assure you that, that following Jesus isn't a burden. It isn't complicated. It isn't adherence to the law. Like, it's knowledge of the law, and through the law comes knowledge of sin, but it also shows the holiness of God. And when you continue to see the holiness of God, when you continue to experience the love of God, and that's exactly what this is, the love of God is perfected. It's God's love in you, not your love for God. Because God had to love us first if we're ever to love him, let alone learn to love other people. But at the same time, to see this and, and to have this, to follow his commandments is a natural response. You know, as children, or, you know, today's Mother's Day. You know, the, the children, if, if, if you love your parents, you're obedient to your parents. Like, if your parents, are, you know, have overstepped, have held you down, have, have hurt you in some way, you're naturally going to rebel. I think we all rebel against our parents sooner or later anyway, because we try to be our individual, you know, human beings. But at the same time, if you know that your parent is good, and you know that they're out for your best interests or have your best interests in mind, you're naturally going to be obedient to them in that regard. Because it's like, well, I, I trust my dad, I trust my mom, they, they haven't led me, you know, down a wrong path. You know, they've instructed me, you know, they've they've helped train me and prepared me for you know the struggles that are in the world. So why wouldn't I listen to them? And that's the same kind of philosophy that John has here, is that if, if we know that God is light and in him is no darkness at all and that he is good and that darkness is evil, why would we not naturally want to follow the light? Why would we not naturally not want to follow his commandments, if you will? And so that's the whole love, love Jesus. And, and in the Gospel of John, as well as in the letter of Second John, it says the same, the same thing in essence. You know, if, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, Second uh, John 5 and 6 say this, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. We started with Second John because it almost seems like it's a little bit of a cover letter to 1 John, if you will. But again, what he goes on to say here a, a little bit uh, farther, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, and at the same time it's a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And that's exactly what that commandment is, is, to love people, love your brothers and sisters. I'm not saying all people, especially, you know, in the outside world, but within the church. Like, here's, here's the thing that we all need to understand about one another. We're here because God's called us to be here. We're here because God showed his grace. He showed his mercy and he showed his love on each of us individually. So why in the corporateness do we need to pick on each other in this when we know that God has done the same thing for, you know, Sean and Kim and Pat and Matt and Mark and Michelle and Frank and Joy and John and everybody, everybody. So if he's shown that to everybody, I can certainly show that to you as well because God says you're important. 
you must be important. <laughs> why? I don't necessarily know. I don't even know why God called me, right? But he did. And so if he's done that, and he's called me, and then he's called you, like, we're all a box of awesome. <laughs> you know, there, there's no getting around it. Like, God has said so. I, I can't challenge what God says. <laughs> if God said it, it must be true. And his words are promises. And so if he has promised that someone is special and called to be a part of the church and something bigger, then I can take it for face value at that and acknowledge that within my life as well as within your lives, that that absolutely is the truth. So love God in that first part. You know, see his commandments, understand his ways, and then love people. That's, that's the second part, the old and new commandments that he's talking about. Uh, you know, the light is a constant. And so is, so is the darkness, though, unfortunately, too. And as we see in the next section, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So light is a constant versus hate is a constant in this. And, and, and we see that, and I've certainly seen that within people who like want to be part of the church, but unfortunately I believe to be part of the church because it looks like a club and a circle and acceptance. And But I mean, the church is multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-everything. Like, we do not all look alike. <laughs> we do not all act alike. We, we are not all alike. And, and God has said that as well as science has proven that within each of us, that we are all uniquely different as human beings. And so, but it's sad. It, it really is. And, and certainly it bothers me as, as a human being, as a brother in Christ, that some people, you know, that still spew hate and still live in, live in the darkness, despite knowing Jesus to some degree. And it just shows that ultimately they haven't grown in Christ that much. They haven't seen people as God sees people yet. They're still seeing people from a cultural, earthly perspective. And maybe they're, maybe they're separating that you know, life, the earthly life from the spiritual life, but you can't. And, and it's just not visible to be seen. And so... John's just giving paradoxes, and he's, and he's informing us, and he's instructing us to just be on our guard. Just, just be aware. Certainly continue to be loving, but, but be aware. Be, be cautious. Um, I always think about the Sermon on the Mount. Don't throw your pearls at pigs, and don't give dogs what's holy. You know, within us, don't be naive. Don't be foolish. But also don't be condemning uh, of other people. Because, again, those scars... Like, you, you don't know how deep they run, and you don't see emotional scars, and you don't see spiritual scars. You might see physical scars, but only if they're the real cool ones that are on your face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not so much. So, again, to know God is to expect and embrace changes, but those biggest changes are loving God and loving people. You know, and, and certainly it's going to change you. He's going to be killing sin within you. Like John has, has shown that. John has lived that. John is part of that. And so then we go into the very last section here, 12 to 17. Again, encouraging us to walk confidently in Christ, yet carefully in the world. And so we see these poems or this poem in, in 12, 13, and 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so this certainly is interesting how John just puts that in there. 
it always leads us to question, like, what exactly does that mean? And so, uh, you know, chronologically, you know, time-wise, you've got children going to fathers, going to young men. Doesn't seem to fit chronologically. Doesn't seem to, to fit, you know, necessarily spiritually in the sense because, yes, we might start as little children, but then we're not going to grow to old men, and then we're not going to become young men. Like, that doesn't make sense either. What makes sense, though, is transformatively how this works, how initially we are adopted. We are the young children in Christ. We are adopted into his kingdom, right? That's transformatively. We become young children. And then we continue to grow in wisdom. And then as the old men, you know, growing in knowledge of, of the truth and growing in knowledge of God. And then lastly, not only do we grow because of that wisdom, then we grow confidently in action. And we become more vocal. We become those evangelists that everyone dreads, <laughs> in a sense. But we don't do it in an ugly turn or burn type of fashion. We do it in a loving you know, way on a on a day-to-day -day basis, case-by-case -case basis, depending on who God brings into our lives in that sense. And so transformatively, we're, we're adopted, we, we grow in wisdom, and then we grow in action. And then that seems to make the most sense transformatively in this. And then John fills this with truth, that we can walk confidently. Like, let's be real. Your sins are forgiven. You are saved. You can be with a God of light who in him is no darkness at all because Jesus has paid that darkness penalty. He has paid for that sin on our behalf. We have been forgiven in Christ. And then we know him. We know Jesus. We talk about this. A lot of people know of God, but do they know God? There's a big difference there. And it's not just the two-letter word of. <laughs> it's knowing of God. How many people know of the name of Jesus but really have and want nothing to do with him? Now, for those who do know God and that do want something to do with him and have had that personal experience with him, he is so much more. And your testimony is so much more because he is so much more to you than just some figure high in the heavens, that this might be the meaning of life, I don't know. Very different to have that experience and to share that testimony of that experience. And that's, again, what John's talking about, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've touched, what we've dealt with. I've been there, man. I did it. I was with Jesus. Like, he's real. Don't mess around. Speaks way more volumes than, you know, God wants you to do this. I think you should do it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> it doesn't hold any value, right? Like It's very different. Very, 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 very different. And so we know that. And then, of course, because Jesus has overcome the evil one, we have overcome the evil one. We are still constantly tempted by the evil one. Don't get me wrong. But we have overcome the evil because Jesus has overcome the evil one, and we are found to be in Christ. And we know the Father. This is absolute truth. We know him who's from the beginning. We are strong because Christ is strong and has overcome the world. We are not strong in ourselves or apart from Christ, but together a threefold cord cannot easily be broken. And then the word of God abides in us. This is truth. We've been given the blessing of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And of course, we've overcome death because Jesus has overcome death. So we have something to look forward to in our, in, in our lives when we do get to be with Jesus that, that day. So walk confidently, brothers and sisters, in this and be encouraged by the truth you know as little children, being filled with wisdom and zeal for the Lord within our lives. This continues to grow. Then we have the antithesis. We have the do not love the world. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Very, very lastly here, I feel like it's super self-explanatory, but, you know, I look at this and I immediately think of the Gospel of John and the most famous passage that there is, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the truth of, of the matter is, is that the world is a little different in those passages. In John 3.16, the world is people. And I suppose we could look at the love of the world or the things in the world uh, a little differently, but loving the world here and what John is saying here is different than what John 3.16 says because the world is in direct hostility to God. It says we don't need him. It says you're strong. It says you do it on your own. And we see that very much so in what he's talking about here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is under the control, you know, certainly of God and his sovereignty, but the prince of the power of the air. This is his playground in a sense. Sin is rampant and rambunctious and everywhere in this world. And so we talked about the desires of the flesh and the antithesis and what you can see in uh, the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25, and our desire to feel good, if you will. And then certainly desires of the eyes being covetousness. And you turn on TV and you're constantly being marketed to. You always want this. This is going to make your life better. If you just had this thing, then your life will be better. You always want what you don't have. Always. doesn't matter. And it never stops either. You always want what you don't have. I don't care who you are. <laughs> like That's the nature of being a human being and covetousness. That's the desires of the eyes. And then you're constantly watching TV, being marketed to you that way. And you're always wanting, and then you're never satisfied. You never have a, a heart of gratitude. It's just continually forming a heart of greed, again, showing what you don't have. And then, of course, there's the pride of life, which ultimately is what we're boastful about and what our meaning of life is. It's the manner of living, the lifestyle, the material possessions, things like that. And so he gives reasons why, you know, the problem with loving the world is, or the ideologies, things of this world, because it's not from the Father, first off. And then he says, and it's all going to pass away. And we know all this to be biblical truth, too. Like when we read Revelation, we see that, that this certainly is all going to pass away. It's, it's not all here. It's not eternal like Jesus is. And so it's not from the Father, but the world to make you worship the world instead of worship the Father. We were all created in the image of God, and we were all created to worship. The thing is, what do we worship? Do we worship God? Do we worship family? Do we worship friends? Do we worship movie stars? Do we worship money? Do we worship careers? Do we worship relationships? What do we worship? That's, again, the overarching thing and why not to love the world because the world makes you want to worship it. So there's so much more, of course, because these were five separate sermons. And so thanks for going through this with me, walking with the God of light and of truth and of love and, and certainly to see the gospel in this and how Jesus certainly has paid it all and is the only possible cure for sin. And then, of course, to understand our Lord better and, and then to see and to hear these witness testimonies. And there's, again, there's just so much more that goes within all of this, but I hope that we can all walk confidently yet carefully in this world. You know, I, I certainly don't want to see us fall into pitfalls and snares and traps and, and everything else, but it's going to happen. But I want you to know you're not alone. 
<laughs> like none of us are alone. And I want to thank all of you who have reached out over you know the past five, six weeks and have helped in some way or another because I know I'm not alone. And, and a lot of times, especially being a pastor, we're made to feel alone. Like we want to be isolated in a sense, you know, always being on trial, always being on guard, always being, you know, susceptible to spiritual warfare and everything else. But I'm not alone. You're not alone. First off, God is always with us. But then praise the Lord for his church and for all of you for being a part of lives together. Like, you know, I'm there, man. Like I've learned a lot. You know, like, what is, what is the old saying in, in Romans? Like, um, trials produce in, in, in endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that has poured into us. And so, yeah, I, it, it, it has changed my character. It has increased my hope. It, it has, you know, shown me endurance. And yeah, if I can help encourage you by getting you through these things as you have done me, then man, praise the Lord for his church. You know, like we wouldn't be here otherwise. And so again, just thank you all. You know, let's, let's get on track. I'll be here for a, a while, but I do need to tell you all too that probably come fall or winter, I'm going to be real sporadic again. It's kind of the after effect of, of everything that just went on. So we'll see, we'll see how life goes. But I'm so impressed and I'm so proud of, of everyone that stood up. And, and like, we're not going anywhere. We have a phenomenal thing going here. And in fact, I'm going to be real reserved about letting other people in on this awesome thing we got going on. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, I hope that more people do, you know, see the glory of Christ's true church within all of this, as, as I have seen it and as I can testify to it and be a part of it. And so praise the Lord for being the Lord and, and praise the Lord for everything that he does, even though it's hard and we don't always fully understand, but like there are so many blessings that have come out of this too that like it just makes me bend the knee and praise the Lord again. Because he is just that good. And, and I promise you, there is no darkness in him. And it is not his fault. It is sin's fault. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning of worship. Thank you for the lives that you've changed and the lives you continue to work in and through and for your glory and our good. And Lord, I just thank you and ask that you continue to pray your richest blessings on, on this congregation and those, and for those that aren't here today, may they be safe and sound. And Lord, I just thank you for moms. And may they all have a tremendously blessed day as they've shown so much sacrifice and so much agape type of love to those that are around them. That may they see it and receive it, um, not as reciprocation, but, but as truth for life. And, and truth that that love really does exist. And so, Lord, uh, just, again, pray your richest blessings on all those that are here and those that aren't. And may you continue to use us for your glory and our good. It's in your name, Jesus, we will forever pray. Amen.